Hi everybody, this is Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development and it is our privilege to have Patricia Frost with us, who is the Vice Chair National Paediatric Disaster Coalition and Paediatric Diag Disasterologist. I got it right the first time. Yeah, there Disasterologist. you go. Disasterologist. Thank you, Patricia, for being with us. Well, my pleasure, Craig. Um, it's a, as I was sharing with you, it's a delight to actually have an opportunity to share some experiences with the students that you are, you know, working with in emergency management and have an opportunity to talk to them about the um, children and their role, uh, the emergency management role in making sure they're included in disaster planning and, and management. Thank you. Well, we've got the expert here today, Patricia, and that's you. So that's awesome. I remember reading a great article by one of our previous um, interviewees. And in his article and disaster preparedness on the website, he um, spoke about space aliens. And I thought this is a very strange article. But when you read it more thoroughly, it was out about how do we actually respond and think about children? How do we mm -hmm. care for children? Because they're very different than responding to adults right. and caring for them, reuniting them, and just thinking about their different needs as tiny humans. We need to think differently about them. So I'd love for you as the expert to share, you know, how you became interested in emergency management and your role with university hospitals? Yeah. Well, you know, I have been blessed with a diverse career and uh, came to emergency management kind of uh, late. I had over 40 years of experience as a uh, pediatric um, nurse in critical care and neonatal care and air transport and education and training um, at, at um, major academic centers like Stanford and UCSF um, and also had the opportunity to do some little bit of medical relief work as part of that effort. Um, I actually, um, about uh, 18 years ago, actually left being um, a nurse practitioner and uh, went into uh, emergency medicine um, uh, pre-hospital EMS and uh, got hired as a pre-hospital care coordinator uh, for um, to build the quality program for Contra Costa County, which is where I live right now, and um, eventually um, uh, moved up and uh, was assistant director and um, just recently retired about a year and a half ago after eight years of being the director of an EMS system responsible for over, you know, 1.1 million, um, you know, uh, individuals, and wow. in that capacity, had um, the extraordinary experience of being what was um, uh, part of the disaster response in terms of the medical health branch and uh, medical health operating area coordinator. So, had the opportunity to learn a great deal. Um, about um, public health, about pre-hospital medicine, ambulances, um, how they work with hospitals, building systems of care for um, heart attack and stroke and working with the community. So um, that really got me on the bandwagon, so to speak, of emergency management because I brought to it, you know, my years of experience in pediatrics, and that was a huge gap in my community. And so um started early on really being an advocate for a national program in the United States called the EMS for Children. And, um, and then uh, did a gap analysis in my community 
and found that the, all of my healthcare providers, my hospitals, my fire departments, my um, uh, ambulance providers felt the least prepared to take care of really critically ill children. So, um, and especially in disaster. So we really, um, sometimes, you know, when you're in a leadership role of assistant director or director, it's good to be king or queen and basically say that we're going to make this a priority. And so that kind of uh, jump started our journey. And along the way, I had the opportunity to meet extraordinary leaders on the national and uh, stage that I work with today. Um, in 2015, we um, developed, uh, we had a national conference and um, our first national conference and, and uh, actually um, created the National Pediatric Disaster Coalition, which is completely unfunded. Oops. Wow. Um, and um, oh, I'm having some difficulty on my thing. There we go. Um, uh, is completely unfunded. It's all volunteer, but we are so highly networked with, um, you know, really um, national leaders. And <clears throat> it's just been a privilege to be an advocate as far as that's wow. concerned. And we're filling a gap of connecting novice to expert, you know, associated with um, the robust content out there. I really like that you said that connecting the novice to the expert. I, I'm, I know that I'm be- even below a novice. So can you just give us some, unpack what it is about um, yeah. you know, caring in the pediatric area in disasters that emergency managers really need to think about? Well, there's so many things as far as that's concerned. And I think um, part of our mission or and, and that I feel strongly about is to make this approachable, make children approachable, because people are afraid to do something wrong, you know, when they're dealing with children. And that fear factor, unfortunately, can get in the way of, um, you know, us being able to do what we need to do. Hmm. Um, um, Also, there is, you know, a pretty common culture, I think, um, uh, at least in the United States. I don't know how that plays out in other countries, but, you know, it's the expectation that the it's the parents' responsibility to take care of their own mm. kids. And yet we know in emergency management that our community is not well prepared to take care of themselves, much less their children. And um, because we've had that approach in emergency management and taking care of the adult community or the vulnerable or having a focus on the vulnerable population that is mostly elderly um, or functional and access needs, um, the larger part of the um, population, um, we have forgotten to include children, which in many Mm. cases is 25%, at least in the United States, of the population. Yet we don't um, um, routinely and normalize, including children from the very beginning. I personally believe if we did that, we'd do a lot better with emergency management all the way around because we Mm. would be protecting our most vulnerable um, uh, all the time. And, uh, and I can't think of any child who doesn't have a, uh, you know, a normal child has functional and access, you know, needs as far as vulnerability and being able to escape and understanding mm. what they do. And so they're completely dependent on us as adults. But at the same time, they don't vote. 
They don't, right. you know, donate money. Um, they don't make policy. Um, so someone has to have their voice. Hmm. So as an emergency manager, a first responder, or someone who uh, moves into response from civil defence, uh, what do we need to think about for children being different than other people? Well, certainly there are physiological differences as far as that's concerned. And, you know, um, my work has mostly been with the medical health community. So working with hospitals and pre-hospitals mm -hmm. on the response phase as far as that's concerned. But I think um, as COVID has taught us in, in very dramatic ways is that um, it, you know, if we don't plan for children and childcare and what happens in the schools, it has a um, downstream effect and an upstream effect in terms of impacting our ability to mobilize workforce, to mm -hmm. um, assure um, for um, you know um, containment of an infectious disease right. or um, e even you know basic response. So we're what what I would impart to your students is that the impact on children and, you know, in general, when disaster strikes, you're still talking about a relatively small amount of children who might have physical or medical needs associated with a particular event. That's a small amount. But the ripple effect of that um can, what happens in the community and the interruptions in schools? A lot of times, schools right. are the shelters. Yeah, um, uh, it, it, you know, default shelters, um, mm. and the mental health consequences associated. The impact on children is generational, and that is the wow. major difference between what we talk about in adults, which is more in the here and now and immediate. For children, if we don't handle disasters well, or they don't, aren't, um, they're involved in a community that has, um, you know, no ability to really mobilize itself, you know, and protect itself in a disaster because planning hasn't been completed or done right. with the right partners, then um, uh, the impacts are lifelong. So mm. what we what we know from the social sciences is that when disasters of, of significant scale happen, you know, there can be long term mental health effects. They may mm. not recover and they may not do well in school. Um, they right. have more depression and uh, suicide. Um, they have more substance abuse. And these things follow them for the rest of their lives and interrupt the trajectory that they, um, that children could have in terms right. of meeting their potential. Um, and so you're talking about a whole generation of, you know, individuals impacted by disaster who are in, um, even a more vulnerable place to handle, you know, um, disasters in the future. And, you know, with climate change and everything, I mean, we're dealing with concurrent disasters. We're in a time that is challenging everyone every day. Yeah. How about you share with us some of your experiences that you've had in the field? And I'm, I'm just going to share a photo as well of Ecuador, if that's all right. 
the, the picture's yeah, not the, very big. Oh, not very good. Anyways, um, I had the opportunity when I worked at Stanford as a nurse educator to get deployed um, for a med with medical relief uh, organization known as Interclass. And although it wasn't um, in a disaster situation, we basically um, uh, went to um, countries with limited medical resources. And uh, part of our mission was not only to provide medical care in, in terms of plastic surgeries and burn reconstruction and, um, you know, cleft palate uh, repair, but also to teach those skills to the nurses and physicians there um, at the um, uh, at, in the country. And um, what that did for me is gave me an appreciation of um, how to do medical care in austere circumstances. Mm. And I think that, I think I had another picture of um, when I was in Vietnam. Uh, this was right before they had opened up the um, relationships between the United States and, and Vietnam. Um, and the people there were trying to give the best care they could, but they had to actually, um, uh, you know, they had very limited uh, resources to be able to, to do that. Um, mm. And then they would have to make their own IV fluid. They would have to um, reuse gloves wow. and gowns and needles. They had wow. to sterilize and they, and they had, so you're talking about, you know, such disparities in terms of what we're used to in mm. um, the United States or, you know, more developed countries and then going to a place where they don't have those luxuries. And what was ironic was that many, you know, medical relief organizations had made a lot of donations as far as that, but they would make donations of really technical equipment and ventilators and, you know, um, and all of these pumps, but there was no infrastructure in mm. the hospitals to support that. So they sat and were never used. And right. um, I'll always remember that in the ICU and the children's hospital at, um, you know, um, there uh, in Vietnam, you know, the families were being the ventilators for their children. You know, they were bagging they you um, using a respirator and actually mm -hmm. acting as the ventilator there. So you know, it really gave me an appreciation of um, the huge disparities that are out there in terms of what the potential is. And then in my later work in emergency management <clears throat> as an EMS director, understanding how fragile our current resources are in terms of if the power goes out. I mean, we, we've suffered in, Cal I live in California, so um, our county is California. We've suffered with terrible wildfires and power mm. goes out and then, you know, not having enough water and with drought conditions and, um, and also, you know, with COVID, even running out of oxygen in the mm -hmm. hospitals as far as that's concerned. Things that we could have never conceived of a few years ago, we're living in and dealing with, um, right. you know, how, um, how rapid things can change in terms of your capability 
and what are you going to have to do to do that? And people just didn't ever thought that these things would happen. And so, you know, everybody's trying to MacGyver, you know, a, um, <laughs> a solution and, and everything's just in time. But we should have been able to predict that some of this for a long mm. time and plan for it. Yeah. Just as we just as we wrap up, Patricia, um, I do want to say thank you very much for the work that you're doing. It is so important and it's great that you can share and at least grab the attention of our students and our bachelors and masters in emergency management and those who watch the recording as well. For those people who it really has captured their attention and they can feel their heart pumping right now and think this is something that they may want more information or on and they want to make a difference in this area what are the best resources or training or experiences that emergency managers could put in well you know um there is a lot of content out there the problem is is that it's not getting connected to the people mm. who need it and so right. this is part of the mission of the national pediatric disaster coalition we um, have a very simple listserv um, or, you know, what uh, what I encourage people to do is actually follow us on Twitter. Um, uh, Twitter is actually a great space. And all we do is post and let people know about resources um, this, that come from vetted, you know, uh, sources, um, uh, multidisciplinary. And so we fill that void by letting people know about these resources. And then what we do is we ask the people that, um, you know, uh, on our listserv to act as, you know, conduits, you know, right. and connectors. And to even if the information we send out doesn't apply to you, there's someone in your community this applies to. So please just send it off and uh, share it as mm. far as that's concerned. But there are great programs out there. Some of them are online. Um, and, um, you know, I'd love to hear from your students and if they would join the listserv, you know, we, we are open to, you know, having them join us on LinkedIn or Facebook or, um, uh, or Twitter as far as that. Um, I like Twitter the most because we can be very nimble, um, right. you know, with it and also, um, share information very very rapidly under changing conditions which we you know did a lot of during covid hmm. i will make sure that uh, for those watching this with the show notes we've already got patricia's linkedin profile link but i'll make sure that i have the organizations and the twitter uh, and the coalition's website details. Um, I'll update the show notes so that this is on Facebook, it's on LinkedIn, and it's on YouTube so that the maximum number of people can um, access the information. Patricia, please don't go anywhere when we just wrap up now, but I do want to thank you very, very much for your time. I appreciate you giving it to us. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, just encourage your students in emergency management to always include children. It just will make their... Um, work so much more fulfilling and it's the right thing to do brilliant and for those of you watching the recording and for our students and for the colleagues in emergency management as we know emergency managers are always upskilling training 
going learning about new regulations and new technology and new procedures and so you've got that big binder full of all of your certificates and all the training you've done but done but maybe it hasn't pathwayed really seamlessly into an academic degree whether it's a bachelor or a master's program so do reach out to us at uard.ac.nz or uard.org and we can give you recognition of prior learning for all of your training and your industry experience and we'd love to help you move forward with your career goals if a degree is the way to do that so thanks for being with us thanks again to patricia and we look forward to seeing you next time 